This is the Enneagram 8 Podcast, and we're here to take you inside the armor. This was an episode we didn't see coming, but we're really glad it did. Lamar from episode 69 got in touch and asked us if he could be of service in answering any questions we still had about the self-preservation instinct. Mainly, he wanted me to know that maybe he could help me understand my mom better. She was a self-preservation eight too. But as you'll see, the conversation ends up meandering all sorts of other places. It just starts there. Lamar's wife, Ruth Ann, is also on the call. She is an SX3. All I know is it was a very sweet conversation, a very helpful conversation, and I'm really glad we had it. Tell me what you guys have been thinking about. Yeah, I wanted to start with just thanks for... Well, first of all, the podcast has been huge. You helped me understand, you know, how you guys think. And now the conversation surrounding instincts has been best part of, of the whole podcast. I, I think Jess's episode yeah. was extremely enlightening for me with me being social repressed to hear two different socials, you know, with her being sexual repressed, discuss what they do. The terminology around connecting. It helped me understand that it's not so much about being concerned what the group is thinking, trying to fit in with the group. All of a sudden, I heard it's more of a web. And that's something that I actually have a desire to build is is the ability to connect people, to actually keep track of what people do and and be able to, in a social setting, bring two people together and say, hey, you, you have a common interest here. And that kind of thing. Or if, if somebody needs a, a product or a service to be able to point them to someone that I trust, that kind of thing I, I want to do. But obviously, I'm taking care of my own needs first before I go there. <laughs> it just felt a lot more possible for me to grow the social side of me, looking at it as connecting. I mean, I use the word connecting in, in a totally different way. And I, I know you use it differently, too. When you said something about in the introduction that episode, you said something about how Aaron has been hurt. It really stood out to me how Aaron's voice changed and how much she felt the need to emphasize when she started to talk about how she's felt about self-preservation in the past. So that stood out to me. And then I knew your mom was an eight, but I I didn't know she was Mm -hmm. self-preservation. Because of all the help you've been to me, I, I thought maybe we could, if you want to go there, share some... Uh, examples of her going cold. And then I might share some thoughts, what might have been happening on her end. First, I wanted to ask, do you have any idea what her repressed instinct might have been? Yeah, um, social. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, definitely social. She was a lot like me, apart from a different tri-type. So I'm pretty certain she was a 826 which is that um, mama bear tri-type, which means they're always trying to offer a service outward, but they're really not receiving anything back. Like they won't allow it really. What does uh, Catherine Faber call that tri-type? Do you want to Google that for a sec? So I just remember the nicknames because they meant more to me. They're like over helpers, like really invasive helpers at their worst, but at their best, they're like the ultimate counselors. She was known for it. She'd have people come and they'd sit in the kitchen. She'd make them coffee and there was always baking and she would just sit and listen and ask the right questions and everybody would bear their heart. 
I shouldn't say everybody because she there are certain people who are repelled by her because she was so intense, as is the case, right, with most of us eights. Yeah. But the people that needed her got what they needed because she was just an incredible counselor. But she had no good friends. Like in the mm. whole time I knew her, she didn't let anyone in close enough. All her friendships had to do with like doing stuff together, but uh-huh. she didn't ever have deep friendships apart from one time. And that friend was a seven and I relate to that. So it gave her this light quality and she'd laugh a lot more. Mm. And then that friend kind of walked away and she like never let anyone else in again. So I became her closest friend which you've heard in the podcast maybe caused a whole heap of trouble because i shouldn't have been her best friend but i was what age were you when that when that happened kind of my whole life to be honest she didn't have the language of enneagram so she wouldn't have had words to say why we were so similar and she felt i could hold her like the weight of her stuff because i could right Even eight kids can hold more than they ought to. I think she just overshared, which I think it's another tendency eights can have is to like overshare things that they can hold, but other people can't hold very well. Yeah, I I would say that made her my primary like attachment. I would say the time she went cold was when she was having an inner reactivity and she knew if she let it out, it would harm somebody. Oh, So she would tamp it down and instead of vocalizing it, she'd go quiet. So what was tricky about that for me as an eight as well is I could feel the difference really acutely and she wasn't letting it out. And for an eight, a sexual eight that wants you to let it out, it felt like torture because I would rather her just say it and she wouldn't say it. She literally said, "Uh, trust me. You don't want me to say it. <laughs> I will hurt you if I, I cannot. You need to give me space. But then sometimes she'd never follow up. So I'd never find out. Do you think these things had to do with you or were they with other people? Well, it depended on the situation. I saw her go cold in my presence, but it had nothing to do with me. Like I've, I saw her do that in response to somebody else. And usually it was never me. She felt so safe with me. She almost never did with me. But I'd witness her in social settings, especially, go figure. So in social settings, she'd be particularly aloof and cold and guarded. And I could feel that. And I do wonder how much of that ended up being learned behavior on my part, because I was so aware that when she entered a group, she clearly didn't feel safe. And it came with a temperature difference, right? I could feel it. And so then, like, (laughs) how likely was it that I was going to feel safe in a group? (laughs) Like, not likely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Personally, I I think cold means more walls are up. I'm not sure if this will be helpful or not. But um, I know in the presence of my oldest brother, who I believe is a sexual eight, and he's 17 years older than I am. In his presence, when I get upset about something he said or, you know, something he's he's promoting, it feels like a fire that would explode if it got a little bit of oxygen. Inside you? Inside me. Like, yeah. uh, my eyes start doing funny stuff and it just feels like they, they start shaking. And I will leave the room or feign, you know, some interest in something else. Usually, I'll, I'll leave the room if at all possible. If it's not a meal or something like that, if I can discreetly do it, I'll I'll be gone. Because there is a certain, maybe it's just because of the protection, the self-protection. I can see the damage I might do. And I fear 
lighting him up more, like mm -hmm. putting gas on his fire. It feels much safer to walk away, to just to walk away, to just be quiet. Mm -hmm. Did he feel like um, I always use the word sticky because I always picture a spider that's on you and you can't get it off. When you set him on fire, was it hard to get him off you? Oh, yeah. It's well, like if he's passionate about something, if he's passionately saying something and he even gets a whiff that I don't agree <laughs> He'll just start repeating and repeating and repeating and emphasizing the same point over and over. And I get hotter and hotter with each pass. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like if I would open my mouth, they would allow oxygen to enter my body and the fire would just explode. Did you ever let it explode one time and you learned? I did one time and I felt so dirty after he got after he was done with me. Yeah. And I was like, that will never happen again. <laughs> yes. But how about with other people? Like, have you ever let it loose? The most recent one, former client who was an eight, who is an eight. Yeah, we then heard that part of that exchange. It was terrifying. It was awful. Mm. And my body literally shut down. I could not even follow what he was saying. Yeah, your head gets tunnel vision like fuzzy. Yeah. It's the worst. Uh, it felt like there was a gap between my ears and my brain. My mind was racing so fast I couldn't hear what he was saying. Because afterwards I asked you some things and you were like, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember. I know that feeling. Yeah. Do you try and avoid people that make you feel that way? Yeah. I know. Yeah. I do too. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. And does sexual energy on the whole feel that way to you? Does it feel sticky? Does it feel like overwhelming only, so far the only sexual energy that i have identified as overwhelming is sexual i believe i mean i have a friend who i believe might be a sexual too mm -hmm. and his greeting when he walks up to me is something that i brace myself yeah yeah because it's just so much i'm like i mean we've known each other for maybe a year now and how can you like me that much Right. Like, you don't trust not, it. <laughs> I don't trust it. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is something I wanted to say earlier. When we went to record the episode, I was very nervous. I mm. was scared because my experience with eights has been if I say something they disagree mm. with, yeah. they will overpower me. The former client I referred to, I think he's a social eight. So I have a brother that you know is a sexual eight. And with, with that combination, it's like both of them are, are scary. So what I wanted to say is the way you treated me in the interview has been so healing. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of mm -hmm. the reason why I uh, reached out because it gave me hope that it's actually possible for me to yeah. interact with other eights. I had a uh, former client who was a self-preservation eight and we had fun poking each other. I would say if I detect someone might be an eight in a social setting, I stay awake. Okay, we need to explore whether or not these are actually eights you're dealing with. And here's why. Erin and I have interviewed 70 of you. We've interviewed so many at this point. And what my experience has been is that none of them are as you describe. They are just like you in the sense that they know what they believe and they will state it with passion at times, like a kind of, you know, grounded, this is what I think. But if you push on them, 
it's like pushing on someone who's a bodybuilder. They just kind of don't move, but they're not worried. They're not threatened. And so they just laugh it off and they're like, yeah, I don't think so. I think you have been dealing with sixes. <laughs> the only people in my life who've utterly floored me with their viciousness <laughs> in terms of the energy that they're slashing back with, they're not eights. They're not eights. I've fallen so much more in love with this type because of how much exposure we've had. Aaron and I and how you experienced us is how I see eights. There's kind of this grounded, like a lion, two lions are just like swipe at each other, but they're not really moving, but they're, they're not really threatened because they're both enormous and they know they're enormous. So they're just not threatened. I don't know. Like That's interesting because the self-preservation eight that I mentioned, that was our experience. Like I'd be working in his house and making noise and he's like, I can't even listen to my TV. I just puffed out my chest and pointed toward the master bedroom. I was like, there's another TV in there. Yes. And he just roared. He was like, yes, I love it. I love your spunk. Uh -huh. Big cat. That's how I've always sensed them. My hand is doing quote marks eights that we ended up knowing were not eights was because of the lack of that. And we were right every mm -hmm. time. They were some other number. They were just mistaking themselves as eights. There is just this quality to them that um, is uh, like a smaller animal that's backed against a wall and then their claws come out mm -hmm. and then they slash and they slash and they slash. I absolutely reserve the right to be totally wrong <laughs> about this. The whole way that I type is not cerebral, right? I'm not doing this based on data. It's always about how people feel in my body like when I'm vibing so mm -hmm. I just know that after knowing an awful lot of eights and I mean I know a lot of them at this point they have a, a feeling that comes with them that is not that slashy thing it, it takes me back to and the most recent social setting I was in I, I mentioned that I was on the podcast and they were like what podcast and I said Enneagram 8 and, and then a 7 looks at me and he's like you're an 8? He knows me from a, from a bit of a distance. And uh, I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, you don't strike me as an eight. I know. I mean, it went from making us like really, really mad to now we're just sad. <laughs> we, <laughs> we just find it sad because I, I mean, yeah, we have that community now. So there's like 12 of us. We're like really in each other's lives. And um, there's just such huge heartedness. The biggest, most feeling hearts in the world. And the reason why people don't see it is because we still won't adjust our behavior if it's out of line with our integrity. So it's like... I think I, I get what you're saying. Because the way I've heard AIDS being described, I'm always a little like, wow. Because it sounds like there's someone to be feared. It basically, they're just walking around, swinging their bats and ready to, to strike. I've never been scared of Lamar. He's always felt like a very safe person to me. Sometimes I do get the drift that people are intimidated by you. So I think what is happening is people have a physiological reaction to us because we do give off waves of energy. And that's something I hadn't realized before I realized my husband was an empath. I didn't even know what an empath was, but he can physically feel other people in his body. It's really weird. I don't know if either of you have that. I do not. I think it would be a nightmare. So I'm glad I don't have it. But and he's a nine. So no wonder he sleeps all day because that's just a lot, like a lot. And we 
emit the most of all the types. We just emit waves of energy and it's overwhelming to people. So we could say nothing at all. And we're still giving that off when we walk into the room. It's connected to the fact that we shut down and deny a ton of our actual emotion and feelings. So we have all sorts of extra energy to spare. A lot of what's happening is we're throwing up walls around a variety of things. And so there's like a a whirlwind of stuff going on inside that we're just like not releasing. And he can attest to that. That's how he describes it. He said one time, when I am secure, I feel like a summer street party. I have the energy and warmth of a vast crowd of people having an amazing time. But when I am hurting, he feels the universe stored up behind thick walls inside me. It's an us thing. All that is actually felt by people out in the world, and we are oblivious to it. That might be part of it. And also people aren't used to, we typically make really firm statements about things and then sort out what we really think later. So that, that's like also a thing. Self-pres might do that less, but um, that's usually overwhelming to people, I think. And typically just fast responses, right? Like we, we do usually rapid fire. And so that's overwhelming. And I listened to uh, the interview and I'm like, back off. <laughs> I, I just think I'm so strong on some of the things I said. And it's like, and you I might not track. actually feel that strong. Yes, I don't I know. feel that strong. Okay, so I, think, this- I think we all do that. <laughs> I I think across the board, we all do that. And usually, like later, we're like, oh, man, I had like way more nuance in reality to what I said. But like, oh, well, I said it. Uh (laughs) Did my mom ever go cold because she was feeling overwhelmed or overcome by somebody? There wasn't anyone in our family who did that. My dad was a two. So he was like the opposite of that. She wished he was more fiery. She wished he had more of that pushback, actually. She was just very easily offended. Are you very easily offended? You know, I I would have said no, probably just a year or so ago. But I think I am. I think I'm easily offended and will try to convince myself that I'm not, I will just cut, cut the memory, cut the relationship, you know, whatever I can cut to simply not, not face it. I think that dynamic is very strong in both my mother and I, but it was stronger in her. My ability to tap into seven, what happens when I get offended is a lot of the time, like 70% of the time, the way I fight it is I make a joke. I diffuse it because I hate the feeling so much of being offended by making a joke. My mom did not have that ability. She just didn't have it in her. And she did not have seven in her tri-type. So I, I'm sure that's partly it. Ruthann, what, what do you see when I get offended? What do you see? You shut down. Yeah. And that feels cold, right? You got offended by a text from your sister and you just kind of, didn't you just she, shut down? And like, did you ever I, answer her? I, I did. She sent a text at five o'clock last night. I saw the notification come and, and saw what it was about. Didn't read the whole thing, just swiped it. And I started feeling bad that I hadn't answered. But at the same time, I, I didn't want to answer. Maybe going cold would be a word for it. Like, yeah. I think we've established that cold is associated with throwing up walls. Mm-hmm. And so when you're offended, that's what happens. We, can. we would never act like it didn't happen. Like we would face right. it. She was always willing to do that with her closest people. But if it was an acquaintance, she just threw up the wall and, you know, never addressed it. How did you feel when that happened? Oh, man. Yeah, I can definitely give you insight into what that does to 
an SX8 for sure. For me to feel safe, and I mean in every scenario, no matter who, even if it's a stranger, I don't, I don't care. Relationally, for me to feel safe, I need to feel like a person is going to keep the door partly open. I don't need it to be all the way open. I really, really don't. I just need to know that it's not slammed shut. Because if it's slammed shut, I'm outside it. Ideally, an SX person wants the door all the way open. Because I'm looking to get to the deepest, truest part of everybody I meet. And I mean that. I mean everybody. (laughs) And if they don't give it, it's not like I push it. It's just that I'm like, okay, I'm bored. I'm going to go elsewhere. This is not fruitful and not exciting. (laughs) My own mama, I needed her to be open to me. It's my mom. So when she went cold, it's like she slammed the door. Not a crack uh-huh. was open. Because when an eight does something, it's pretty intense, right? It's not. Her. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't forever. And I knew that. But in the moment, it was not even light creeping out from under the door. And that's a very panicky feeling for me in any situation. Like I just had a friend cut me off. It's a horrific feeling for a sexual eight to be cut off because I I would never cut off anyone, anyone ever, even an enemy. I just don't know how, because what if, like, what if there's a chance for redemption? What if, like, I'm always open to it. A chance for renewed connection. Totally. Just who I am. Like, and I don't know how much of that is just also just my spiritual self. My relationship with my sister, she's 10 years older than me. And we had a lot of fun as I was growing up. Then when I was six, she turned 16 and she lost interest in home. I have held it against her for change. I'm I'm just thinking about how you have hope. I don't. I hold a fear that in order for us to have a relationship, I would need to come her way because she'll never come my way. That's different from what you experience. I will always go someone's way once. And I, I must, it is like so deep in me that I'm, I must extend my hand once. And then once I've done it, I feel like a lot of peace because what I did is I told them the door is open. Can you not see the light coming through? Okay. And my response to that kind of thing would be to act as if I don't see it or don't appreciate it. But with a little bit of time, I would I would see it as you have come my way. And now all of a sudden the walls come down and I feel like I can come your way too. Yeah. And I have found by living that way that people do end up walking back through the door a lot of the time, not all of the time. And my eight dignity will not go looking twice. Like I I will not pursue people after I've extended and they reject it. Like that's beyond eight protocol. We won't do that but I definitely leave the door open a crack. And then where the hope comes in is I think it's purely my faith. Truly. I don't think it's natural because Mm -hmm. by nature to preserve my sense of, because rejection is so horrifying. Uh It would be easier for an eight to tell themselves the story. They're never coming back. So move on. And that's what I hear a lot of the less healthy eights say. They say it all the time. Like, I don't care. And I'm like, bullshit, bullshit, that would have been you my, don't care. Uh, that would have been my, my defense too. Yes, uh, we don't mean it. Like, I'm sorry, you don't. Eights are so connection oriented, like so connection oriented. And if they just let themselves deal with the hurt of being hurt. 
what I'm saying when I say that I have hope, it's like this God-given hope that anything is possible. If I have left the door open, I just have this sense like he could bring them back to me. Like I don't even have confidence they will walk back. My confidence is in him drawing them back. We are so excited to share something new we've been working on. We have now launched the Enneagram 8 community. This is a community where Enneagram 8s can come together to feel seen and heard for the heart of who they are, a place where you can just be you. If you're interested in joining us here, go to the Enneagram8community.com to sign up. You mentioned in the introduction that the walls of a self-preservation eight, they were scary to you or? Okay. Yeah. So I also have a self-pres eight cousin and she was my favorite person in the world. And she, she would let me go yay far, but no further. And I don't think it was intentional, but I could sense that there was a line I couldn't cross. And that, just so you know, that's definitely a sexual eight specialty, is we have a weird ability to detect that, like really Mm. strong ability. It's the combination of being a body type plus the sexual. So I always knew there was a line that I was not allowed to cross. And it just absolutely killed me because I'm a little over the top with what I'm expecting from people. Like I want to be all the way in and I recognize that's not reality. But she was one of my favorite people and I wanted to get across that boundary. And I knew I couldn't. And I sense that in other people, just the boundaries that people have. And people have all a variety. And what's ridiculous is I have them too. So it's such a double standard. I'm just saying. (laughs) On the whole, like as an adult now, I think she was very wise to do that because you can't unsay things. And I would have remembered everything she said. I think she was kinder to give me the silence. You're appreciating it now. I I am. I really am. And it was a boundary. She was Mm -hmm. teaching me boundary. Mm -hmm. And she was uh, standing very firm as an eight saying, you're not crossing it. Mm -hmm. I could pester her all I wanted. She wouldn't until she knew it was safe. I did have another question about yeah. when you said um, she went cold. Did she go cold towards other people or toward you? Everybody. She wouldn't let anything else in. When she went cold, she didn't select. Every no, time and, she went cold, it was everyone. And I do the same thing. The other day, I told you that friend cut me off. And I was so horrified because like I told you, I never expect it. And I was so hurt. My perception of myself is I was spilling all over the place. Like I figured my empath husband would be feeling me as a wave, a torrent of spilling out emotion. And he said, no, you feel like a very, very thick wall. I was like, how could that possibly be? And he said the truest thing ever. He said, I think you are in so much pain. You've decided you won't let in a single other drop. To add to the weight of that. And so I literally shut out everything. And I can function like we're high functioning people and we have the energy to carry on and we're ridiculously able to do that. So after my mom died, it was a whole year. I was totally numb and cold. I was just held back like one giant held back ball of pain. I think what threw me off balance with this whole conversation and why I feel like I'm tongue tied is because the whole thing about people I thought were eights. Apparently, yeah. the um, the biggest mistype is sixes thinking they're eights. There's a guy that trolls our Instagram from another podcast, and he's such an asshole, but I kind of appreciate him because he will like troll through the comments of, you know, self-professing eights on our site and go, you're not an eight. You're not an eight. You're not. <laughs> 
<laughs> one time I was like, okay, well, can you explain a little more why? And you know what? When we get off the call, I'm going to send you what he wrote because it was actually really insightful. And it had uh-huh. something to do with because the sixes are defending against the reality that they have fear. They're so un conscious of the fear that motivates them that they idealize the opposite and the opposite is nate yeah so you get a whole lot of them going well i must be an eight do you have any sort of things that you i guess question about self-preservation eight or is there things that you still wonder about or don't have answers to honestly between you and lisa you just like shifted my whole paradigm about the boundary thing for me when it clicks it clicks all the way I went from seeing it as you withholding something to like it being a strength. And Aaron put it this way too, that we need more of. (laughs) Aaron and I learned that we don't have enough boundaries. And for Aaron, it's destroyed her body. And for me, I have traditionally pushed into people's boundaries and caused them harm. Not intentionally, but almost trauma because they didn't ask to be invaded. And I accidentally like a puppy that's too big and clumsy or something like blundered in and did some harm and I didn't know it until I understood the importance of a boundary well if you didn't have any boundaries you'd be burned up like a fire like my sexual drive like kind of obliterates that a lot of the time but I get it and I think it's true of course it's true in order for you to fortify and rebuild and regenerate to be able to spend on other people, you have to have a boundary. The other beautiful thing is you seem to hold boundaries for other people. My cousin is the same, is the safest person in the world. I knew because of her value on boundary for herself, she had that value across the board and would apply it to all people. So she would never push into my boundary and she would keep my secrets and she would, you know, like there was just this sense of honoring that that made her just a specific place I could put specific things. And I can't claim to be that for people. (laughs) My sexual energy is not like that. Like I'm too busy, like flowing to often think, oh, I shouldn't have said that. So I'm not that person for other people. I have other jobs, but that's not my job. Yeah, it's interesting to hear your perspective on that because the way it gets expressed of this is my turf and don't you dare come without permission. That's not exactly it. What I'm starting to wonder is if our repressed instinct holds a superpower of identifying. Okay, so for me, social repressed. When I see social dominant instinct being used to hold up the ego of that person, I have warning bells go off. I heard it in Erin when I listened to the recording multiple times. She's got this ability to sense when the self-preservation instinct is used as an excuse or used as a way to take care of me and not actually do anything. It's like this special sort of ability to identify when it's being abused. Your brother definitely has imprinted in you ideas about SX, right? I mean, (laughs) clearly. Yeah, definitely anxious about getting trampled on. (laughs) Uh, I hope you're almost falling in love more with the eight because that's what we've really been trying to fight for, you know? Yeah, and I would say I've never wanted to be another number. No. Outside of maybe at the very beginning, I thought three sounded pretty good. No offense to Miss <laughs> Three over there, but it was my last number I wanted because the stereotype of it, and so I'm admitting it was based on a stereotype, is that they shift and adjust and do the chameleon thing. 
And everything in me was like horrified by that because I'm obsessed with integrity and like just being me. From the very start, I have called her out on it. And have you ever heard the song Taylor Swift Endgame? That's the three and eight song. And there's so many truths about three and eight relationships in that song. Honestly, if I look at the Enneagram, I cannot see myself in a relationship with any other number as well as three. I mean, I, that, that's not just, I'm not just saying that because Ruthann sits here, but I was going through the, through the Enneagram again, and I, I do it every time. And it, it's like, I love the drive, the assertiveness. I'm really attracted to sevens too, because of the drive and the energy dispossessed yes. for life. But sevens betray me over and over and over. They oh, say they will do this and do that. So and they flaky. Don't. So flaky. <laughs> yeah. I know I couldn't be married to a social three. That that would not work. With being a three, Ruthann has the heart side of her mm-hmm. is so big. It makes it safer for me. I find threes aren't sticky. You guys are an independent number. Like you're, she wouldn't freak you out with the cloying, like trapping thing. Sticky is such a good word for it. I just didn't, I didn't have a word for it. But <laughs> Think of a spider, spider, spider. Yeah. <laughs> like. I do that, though. She is very sticky. Yeah. Okay, okay. And you're okay with it? Yeah, I am. Not in the sort of way, like, I want to web. It's just, I want to connect. It's safe for me because I have no fear that she'll she'll ever leave me. I have no fear of betrayal from her. That's why it's so safe. You're hearing my aversion to stickiness is what you're hearing because I... I, it really, really grosses me out. <laughs> I, cannot. I cannot. At the same time, she's driven enough to want to grow, but she's always just, been yeah, interested in growing. I mean, that's how our relationship started was through a conversation, me talking about personalities. I knew her for over six months before I first had any interest because, well, she was blonde and I wasn't <laughs> expecting a blonde. You're hilarious. I had my eyes on you. I was so like. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. Like she, you were trying to set a trap for me. I was like a spider. Yes, like a spider. I was crying during most of the episode because of like just hearing Lamar's voice with that energy, and that was how you were when we first first years of marriage, when we first dated, and like in the beginning, you still can be like that. But past year and a half has been very, very hard. It's been hard years. You've just not stepped into that as much. And it was just so good to hear, hear it mm-hmm. on the episode. Is it just because you, you were given space and you could feel that you were given space? Yeah. It had to do with me being nervous and then having a much better experience than I dared hope. Right. So, yeah, I'm just so thankful for the experience of talking with you two. But Ruthann was like, after she heard the recording, you were like, oh, now I understand why you were so energized. I have made choices or am making choices because of the things I learned and because of the experience I had recording that episode. That's incredible. I'm, I'm a different person than I was four weeks ago. I was hoping I might help you. And oh, hey. it feels like you helped me. <laughs> That's it for today. We hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface, and you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor.